Good morning, and welcome to River City again. Uh, we're going to be in chapter 5 of Luke's Gospel today. If you have a Bible, you can turn there. If you need a Bible, you can slip your hand up, and someone from our strike team can put one in your hands. Luke chapter 5. And as you're turning to Luke chapter 5, <clears throat> let me ask you a question. Uh, anyone in the room enjoy fishing? As a kid, we did a little fishing, uh, but not much. Uh, my dad wasn't much of a fisherman. Um, he didn't really like boats or water at all. Um, but we did a little. Uh, one of my favorite childhood photos um, that, that I have uh, apparently uh, represents or shows a time after some kind of fishing trip. This is the photo. Um, that's my brother on the left in the teal shirt and the acid wash jeans. And that's me on the right with the dance moves. Um, apparently I was pretty excited about the fish that we caught. However, not even this apparently exciting moment really propelled me into a lifetime love of fishing. I enjoy it. I have a few fishing poles in the garage. We've gone fishing at times when we've been camping or, or other things, but, but I stuck to baseball, which to this day is, is more my thing. Anyone else in the room, I, I know I mentioned it, like you go fishing, but you, you really enjoy it. Like it's your favorite hobby, your favorite thing to do. If you could do anything else this afternoon, if it was 75 degrees and you could just go do whatever you wanted to do, I would go fishing. How many of you in the room? That's your thing? A few of you, right? <laughs> like, yes, that's me. See, in this passage, Jesus is interacting with some, some fishermen doing what they do. Fishing. Jesus invites them to, to follow him. And he meets them there, doing what they do. But from that moment where he, he meets them, he radically changes the direction of their lives. There is a from now on moment that happens here in these verses we'll read. So we'll look at this passage and what it is that Jesus is calling these disciples to, to follow him? What's their response to his call to them? And what it means for us, as Jesus calls to us to follow him. And we'll see, there are barriers to following Jesus, right? There are considerations to be made. There are questions. We all have them. But Jesus overcomes those objections and proves that he is worth giving up everything to, to follow him. We'll, we'll see that here in a second. And the, the reason this is important is because following Jesus can't just be a sometimes hobby like me and fishing. But this reminder of the call to follow Jesus becomes for us a, a from now on moment that fundamentally changes everything about the rest of our lives. So let's read together in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he, Jesus, was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. And getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep 
and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when he had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the, uh, both the boats so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on, you'll be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of God for us. May it continue to bear much fruit in our lives. Now, Jesus enters into the world of these common, everyday, blue-collar fishermen, and it invites them to follow. And in fact, you could argue, if we follow the fishing analogy, Jesus catches these men and then puts them to work in fishing for others. Look at me, look with me at, at, at verse 1. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. This is another name for the Sea of Galilee. Now, why Luke uses the name Gennesaret instead of Galilee is unclear. Perhaps it has something to do with, with the Gentile audience that Luke is writing to. Or, or maybe, as Gennesaret is a more like ancient name for that body of water, Luke is connecting Jesus' rule and authority over all of creation to even what's happening here in this ancient See. Either way, people are pressing in on him, Luke tells us, so that they can hear the word of God. Now, this is interesting. We've already seen this in Jesus' ministry, and we'll continue to see it as we study Luke. The words coming out of Jesus' mouth are leaving people amazed. They believe, as Luke records, that they aren't just hearing a good teacher. Or, or a polished preacher, or a good communicator. They are hearing someone speak with authority. They are pressing in close to Jesus to hear the word of God. Hold on to that phrase for a moment. Verse 2, Jesus sees two boats by the water and the fishermen cleaning and mending their nets. This isn't a fishing off the dock with your grandpa and your rappel a fishing pole kind of fishing operation. This is a first century commercial fishing operation. A handful of men and a couple of boats and a bunch of nets. Often these nets would either be weighted on one side so that they would sink down to the bottom and maybe they'd gather up to a, a tie at the top so they could hoist them in or maybe they'd be attached to one side of the boat and could be then pulled up over into the boat. In either, in either case, this is a, a big operation. And these men uh, would have been uh, working all night long and into the early morning. For those of you who do go fishing, when is the best time to go fishing when fish are most active? Right? Either late in the day or early, early in the morning. Right? Not in the middle of the, the heat of a, of a summer day. It might be nice to sit in a boat in the middle of the heat of a summer day. 
But the fish are going to be less active. So here, fishing in this context is late at night or overnight and into the early morning hours. So when Jesus comes to these fishermen on the shore, they've already been working all night long. And as the crowd gets larger and people are pressing in on Jesus, he looks at Peter, gets into his boat and says, just push out just a bit from land so I can speak to all these people at once. Peter agrees. And Jesus sits down, Luke tells us, and taught the people from the boat. Now, we don't know how long this teaching was, but here was Jesus inviting Peter to spend just a little extra time and using his fishing boat in a slightly unusual way just for a, a little bit so that Jesus could be effective in communicating to all these people who had, who had gathered. And look at verse 4. When Jesus was done teaching, he looks at Peter and says to him, Now put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Leave the shallow water, Peter. Let's go out to the place where the fish tend to be, the deeper parts of the lake, and why don't you put your nets down and we'll see if we can catch anything. Now, it's one thing to use the boat as a, as a mobile stage, so to speak. But now, here we have the son of a carpenter telling a veteran fisherman that he should go out and fish. Has that happened to you? You're the expert on the situation, right? You have the experience or the schooling or the expertise, and someone with less expertise, less experience, maybe doesn't know what they're talking about, starts giving you suggestions, right? Your response, if you're nice, is probably like, thank you all, I'll consider that. Or maybe it's not so nice. I I don't know what your response would be, but that's what's happening here. A non-fisherman is telling a fisherman how to fish. And look at Simon Peter's response in verse 5. He answers, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Simon Peter calls him master. This is a, a general term here of honor given to someone who's a respected teacher or rabbi. Although Peter knows Jesus, there's nothing here yet in the text that tells us this relationship is intensely personal. Peter's respectful. He, he's not seemingly angry. He's not going to outright disrespect Jesus and call him crazy. He's respectful and he says, okay. And he says what you'd expect someone who's an expert fisherman to say, look, buddy, we've been here all night and haven't had much luck. Question for you. As you've read the word of God, or maybe you've gone to a a trusted brother or sister for counsel, for help, for wisdom. Have you ever had that moment when you're reading in the scriptures or you're listening to someone give you good godly counsel and your first inclination is, okay, that might be helpful, but I don't know if it makes much sense. Right? The scriptures do this all the time. And here Jesus is telling Peter, even though the fish haven't been biting all night during the time when they should be, even though it's the end of your working day and you're probably exhausted. And even though this is the time when the fish are least likely to bite, why don't you get in your boat, set out into deeper water and put down your nets for a catch? And Peter's first response is normal. Look, I don't know if this is going to work. But 
Peter says, at your word, I'll put down my nets. What seems questionable from anyone else has authority when it comes from the word of God. In this case, from the mouth of Jesus himself. And the scriptures have this all this time, all the time, things that would outside of being the word of God seem questionable. Someone wrongs you, you forgive them. How many times? Seven? Or 77, as Matthew 18 tells you? Children who are often seen as a burden. In Matthew 19, Jesus says, actually, unless your faith is like one of these, you won't enter the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, don't worry about what you'll eat or what you'll wear. God will provide for your needs. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all this other stuff will be added to you. And Peter, maybe not yet fully realizing what's happening, he at least trusts Jesus enough to obey and say, okay, I don't know if this will work, but at your word, I'll do what you say. And look at verse 6. And what happens? And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. The haul of fish was so great that they needed a second boat. And even with the second boat, there were so many fish that both boats struggled under the weight of the catch. So whether Jesus commanded the fish into the net or in his divine rule over creation just knew where they had been hiding out from Peter all night long, it really doesn't matter. Jesus is exerting his authority over creation here and miraculously provides overflowing fishing nets. And this is, I think, where it gets real for Peter. Look at verse 8. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. We start to see the response of the one being called by Jesus. It's in this moment I think Peter realizes this is no longer a fishing exercise. This is an exercise of authority. This was way bigger than fish. See, Peter trusted Jesus enough to let him take his boat out to teach. Peter trusted Jesus enough to put down the nets to fish, even though it seemed odd. And now, when Peter sees what's happening, his response is humility. Peter gets low. He, he bows. He falls down. Do you want to know if something is truly of God? If God has truly revealed himself to someone? I think you can look for this response. Humility. All through the scriptures, every time God reveals himself, every time he manifests his power, the godly response is humility. It's confession. It's repentance. In both Daniel chapter 10 and Isaiah chapter 6, when God reveals himself, shows himself to these prophets of God, invites them into a miraculous vision of the presence of God, their response is reverence. Woe is me. The blinding light of the glory and holiness of God exposes all the little dark places that remain in us. It just does. And the reality of our condition under the blinding light of God's glory and His holiness leaves all of us exposed 
And so the response is humility. Peter does it. I am not worthy to be in your presence, Lord. And when Jesus heals the sick, or in this case causes this overflow of fish, those whose hearts are soft, those whose hearts are ready to hear from God, who respond rightly by bowing down, and they call Jesus Lord. I find it fascinating, really, that so often people claim to have seen God, right? They, they seem to have, they've had some kind of a vision or they come out, um, but rather than coming out with a sense of humility, they, they seem to come forward with a sense of spiritual superiority. They go on TV or write books about going to heaven or seeing God face to face, but they don't seem to respond as those in the scriptures who get a glimpse of God. They seem nonchalant, relaxed, like no big deal, was hanging out. God brought me to heaven. I saw some stuff. It was cool. It's just not the picture we have in the scriptures of seeing who God really is. And so I think the proper response is when God shows himself, when the Son of God manifests his authority in a miraculous way like this with fish, in recognition of the overwhelming glory and worth and perfection of God, is more like Peter's reaction. It's humility. And verse 9 tells us that the others were also astonished at what they had seen. And then look at Jesus' words in verse 10. Jesus says to Simon, Do not be afraid. Peter gets low, humbles himself really quick because he's recognizing... He's starting to get a glimpse of who Jesus is, and Jesus reaches down and comforts him. It's as if he says to Peter in that moment, I didn't come here for shock and awe. I came here for you, and I have something for you to do. Do not be afraid, Jesus says. From now on, you'll be catching men. In verse 11, they brought all of their boats and equipment and fish to land and left everything and followed him. What was possibly the most lucrative day in their fishing business for their entire career, possibly the Guinness Book of World Records uh, account, the, 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 you, you're the winner, you caught the most fish ever in a single catch, here's your plaque, right? And Luke tells us they brought everything up on shore and left it there and followed Jesus. Think about that. Think of the world you live in. I don't know what industry you're in or what you're studying uh, to do if you're in school or what you'd like to do with your time. Think of the most profitable thing, the best day. You sold the most widgets. You, you, you signed the most clients. Your, your investments made their most, uh, the most amount of gains they've ever made times 10. And at the end of that day, you take that big pile of whatever that is and you leave it there. And go a different direction. That's what's happening here. I mean, think about it. A guy comes in and brings in the biggest haul of fish ever. You keep that guy around. You sign him to a contract. You make him partner in the fishing business. I mean, if, you, if, if Jesus was in a part of your fishing business, he was part of your company, you're going to make a lot of money emptying that lake. You just will. They could make a killing catching fish like that. But unlike 
the end of chapter 4, when we read last week of the people who were focusing on how to keep, just keep Jesus near them, just for us, to, to care for us, these men are willing to leave behind everything to follow Jesus. Peter trusted Jesus enough to let him get in the boat and use it as a, as a stage to teach. Peter trusted Jesus enough to put down the nets to fish, even though it seemed odd. And Peter sees the fish and responds with humility. And now he's responding to the, the call to follow. Now he might have objections or questions or concerns. But Peter, James, and John don't seem to have to double check the numbers to verify their options. They just leave everything that they have, Luke tells us, and they follow Jesus. What does it take for someone to give up everything to follow someone else? Now, it's one thing to hear this story of Jesus and the fish and the call to follow and leave it as a, as a story we read in the Gospels about the life and ministry of Jesus. But it's another thing to look at how this applies to us. See, we believe that the call of Jesus to follow him that was extended to Simon Peter and James and John and others is a shadow of the call to you and me to follow Christ, to trust in him, to believe in him by faith and to follow him. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul writes this, to the church of God that's in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. The calling of Jesus is a call to a new identity as a saint. Ephesians chapter 4, Paul says this, I, Paul speaking, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. You've been called to something. 2 Timothy chapter 1, Paul says, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of works, our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. The call of Jesus to follow him, to believe in him, is a from now on kind of calling takes the path and trajectory of our lives, wherever it was going from that point forward, he meets us there and then transforms and turns that trajectory. First, Jesus catches us, and then he employs us and equips us to fish for others. Look at how Jesus speaks with Peter over and over again, initiating with him and in big and small ways, proving his trustworthiness, proving his authority. Jesus asks for a boat to teach the crowds. Peter obeys. That's an easy ask. Jesus tells him to set it under the deep water. Peter makes it known that he's unsure, but he still obeys. Trusting the word of Jesus, he says, okay. And then when Jesus invites him to follow, Luke tells us they just left everything. Make no mistake, Jesus' end goal is calling disciples. And he was bit by bit overcoming the doubts and obstacles and considerations of Peter. Now, I'm sure Peter had questions. We know he had a family. We know he had partners, a business partners. And Jesus doesn't give the disciples a timeline or an itinerary like, well, for the next month, I'm going to need you to follow me and then we'll have a break and you can go back home, check on the business. And we know none of that. 
And those are not necessarily unimportant things, but compared to what Jesus was calling them to, it's almost as if they don't matter. It didn't change the compelling call to reorient all of their lives around Jesus. He calls us to trust Him, to believe in Him, and to follow Him. And that's what's so fascinating about this. Jesus doesn't require Peter to cross all of his T's, get all of his affairs in order, dot all the I's, run all the numbers, and then he'll be ready to follow. And just like the call to us, it's not incumbent upon us to have ironed out every possible doubt or question or concern. Jesus looks at us and in his mercy says, follow me, believe in me. And so if you find yourself burdened by the weight of your sin, if you find yourself, you feel the weight of your own guilt and you see the beauty of Jesus and the mercy of God on display for you, if that describes you, then I would argue that God the Holy Spirit has done a miracle on your behalf and has pulled your dead, lifeless soul from the bottom of the sea and made you new. That's part of the from now on calling. Jesus catches us first. And second, he catches disciples and then puts them to work fishing for others. He says, from now on, you will catch men. It's funny. Jesus doesn't even really answer Peter's concern or whatever his concern is here. Right? He gets humbled real quick. Depart from me. I'm sinful. I shouldn't even be around you. Jesus doesn't even say like, it's okay, Peter. I'll help you. It'll be great. You'll get better. No, no. Don't be afraid. I have something for you. Your identity is now wrapped up in me. And the mission of Jesus now is multiplicative. It's a word we like here. Uh, Devin and I share an affinity for that word, multiplicative. It just means it, it multiplies. And as we read last week, Jesus said, I must preach to other towns as well. In John 10, Jesus says, I have other sheep who are not of this fold. He's speaking of Gentiles who will believe in Jesus. And he says, I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice. In John 20, Jesus says, As the Father has sent me, so I send you. Jesus employs his disciples in the work of fishing. This is evangelism and preaching the gospel and making disciples. It is our mission as a church. Disciples of Jesus, making disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. So Jesus calls his disciples and then sends them out. So I have two questions that rise to the surface. One, what does it mean then to be caught by Jesus? If we're sticking with the fishing analogy, might as well. We've started. We'll keep going. What does it mean to have been caught by Jesus? Are there obstacles to trusting him? Are there obstacles to faith in him even now? It's true. There is no amount of, of human reasoning that we can do to overcome some doubts. It is a work of the Holy Spirit to awaken dead hearts and open blind eyes. And so I continue to pray and ask for that for you, if that's you, even now, that you would see Jesus as trustworthy and that you would be awakened to faith, faith enough to follow, as he says, follow me. And for those of us in the room who would claim faith in Jesus, who would identify as disciples, how does our identification with Jesus affect the way our lives now look? I'm not necessarily talking about a dramatic conversion experience of a from now on, although that could be part of it. But asking this question, have my priorities, 
Have your priorities been reshaped by Jesus' priorities and mission? The proclamation of the good news. Proclamation of the gospel to the poor. The ministry of comforting the brokenhearted. Of proclaiming the favor of God to all those who are in Christ Jesus. Do our priorities and our values and our loves conform to Jesus' priorities? To kingdom priorities? You see, Jesus is the only one worthy to follow in this way. The only one worthy to leave everything for. And our calling by Him is a calling to belong to Him and to join Him in fishing. So if we follow this kind of miraculous fishing account and its, its analogy to its end, He calls us then to cast out nets. And the reality is, We're just like Peter in that net casting. We're unable to coerce fish into the net. We can't manipulate or convince fish into the net or people into the kingdom. But the king of the universe can. The one who is king over creation and king over every human heart draws fish into the nets that are cast And so we, full of the Holy Spirit, cast the net of the gospel and the Son of God calls and brings disciples into the kingdom. So I suppose if my dad really liked fishing, he may have instilled in me a love of fishing. But he was a baseball guy. So I'm a baseball guy. See, there's something here in following Jesus. There's a, a whole reorientation of life around the mission of Jesus. Peter, James, and John, and you and me, our priorities, our loves are reshaped around the priorities and loves of the person we follow and we trust. And Jesus is all about the glory of God and the kingdom of God and the welcoming of disciples into the family of God. So that's what we're all about. This is how Christ is building his church and fulfilling his mission. And His is the only one worth giving all we have to follow. So what does it look like for us as those who have been caught, rescued by Jesus and now turned around and made fishermen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank You that at the right time You sent Christ to redeem, to rescue, and to build your church to call men and women into relationship, to create disciples whose identities now have been remade, who are now hidden in Christ Jesus, and who are being equipped carry the message of Jesus. Would you encourage our hearts where there's weariness, in places where there is doubt and questions? I pray, Holy Spirit of God, that you would bring the Word of God to bear, to overcome, to speak to, to bring truth places of doubt. 
And I pray you would find our hearts soft and malleable and ready to be reoriented and reshaped and reformed around you, our new identity in you, and the mission of Jesus to seek and save the lost. Encourage our hearts as we come to the communion table. Help us to confess and to walk in this newness of life that we have in Christ Jesus. We pray this in His name. Amen.